welcome to the nerd party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop. Punch it. Punch that shit. Let's punch it. Everybody, welcome to Punch It, episode 82. My name is Charlene Schmidt, and with me, as always, is the wonderful <gasps> Tristan Riddell. Yes, that's you. It's so good to be behind the mic with you today. We have got to talk about the explosive news that came out of Star <laughs> Trek Vegas last weekend. It's all the rage. Everybody's talking about it. We need to do it too before we get to our topic of the week. So let's just dig in and do this thing. Sir Patrick Stewart is coming back as Picard. Patrick Stewart is going to become once again Jean-Luc Picard. And this uh, definitely took the Star Trek fandom by storm. I mean, this was all people could talk about in Vegas, on Twitter. My phone blew up because people were texting me left and right saying, did you hear? Did you hear? And I'm like, of course I heard. And (laughs) this is one of those times when this is going to sound like a weird tangent but with star wars you know like all of the movies coming out that are like standalone films like rogue one and solo and there's rumors that we're going to get an obi-wan film and a boba fett film and everything like that Uh uh-huh i once talked about i said i was like i wonder if it would be interesting if we got a luke skywalker film like a throwback of just luke skywalker and so many people chimed in to make fun of me saying uh you might have noticed but we had three of them that were all about Luke Skywalker and they're talking about A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. I get it. He was the lead in the movie, but it wasn't just all about him. And there's always more stories to tell and we could focus on a young Luke Skywalker in between those stories, anything like that. And so when Picard came out, I was really surprised that no one was saying, oh, well, we already had seven years of Picard. With that train of thought, right. And I'm not saying that that's the proper way of thinking, and I'm not thinking that way at all, because I think it's going to be, I think Picard is going to be naturally very different from TNG, and TNG, of course, was the beauty of the crew. It wasn't all about Jean-Luc Picard, but I think it'll definitely be an interesting take. What was your knee-jerk reaction when you heard the news? Well, first, I have to preface it by saying that I was a little bit behind the curve. I was spending a long weekend visiting family back in Wyoming, so I was not necessarily keeping up with Twitter and with Star Trek Las Vegas tweets overriding my entire Twitter feed anyway. It took me a little while to get to the announcement, and then when I did, I was like, oh, Dad! Dad, you're going to love this. Patrick Stewart just announced that he's going to be Jean-Luc Picard again in a new series. And we're like, what? So I was super excited because I'm in this group of fans, and I think you are too, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, that I want some kind of Star Trek to come out that takes place after Nemesis, after Mm -hmm. what we know of the 24th century. I want to go back to that familiar time period that I grew up with, but I do want it to be different. And I'm glad that the initial reports basically say, yes, this is going to be different. It's not going to be a remake of TNG. It's going to be very Picard focused. He's going to be a different man. And that's evolution. This is a very good thing, in my opinion. And I can't wait to see it because this is the brainchild of my girl, 
Kirsten Beyer, who we've talked about incessantly in her relaunch novels for Voyager, she's done such a good job with those. She is kind of the connecting force right now in the Star Trek writer's room between the comics and Discovery, and now this project. Her knowledge of Star Trek is just so comprehensive. I know it's in good hands, and I can't wait to see what she's come up with. How about you? What are your thoughts on this? The rumor came about a couple months ago, I think from Variety, where they were talking about how this was going to possibly happen, that they heard someone talk about it, that there was going to be a new Picard series and no one knew if it was actually going to be Patrick Stewart or if it was going to be like a young Picard or something like that. Did you believe it at the time? I didn't believe it or not believe it at the time. Just like, oh, it's a rumor, whatever. Yeah, I was just like, okay, we'll see if it happens, you know, and everything like that. But I remember tweeting about it saying, I would love to have a post-Nemesis show, but leave Picard alone. Like that was my... That was my initial my initial thought because So they did it half of what you were hoping for. <laughs> right. And I like I am not one of those people who are just like, "Oh my god, this is garbage. Throw things up against the wall, throw things at computer screen." I am not like that whatsoever. My initial reaction when I first heard the rumor was, "Leave Picard alone. He's great. We explored the character for a very long time. You can only screw it up at this point." Mm. And harsh. And I feel like that was accurate at the time. But like I said, I'm not one of those losers who is just going to hate everything that he doesn't understand. And so when... Wait, wait a minute. You're on the internet. You. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm so sick of nerd rage. And so when the announcement happened at Vegas and Patrick Stewart was there himself, I was just like, oh, okay. Patrick Stewart is there. He believes in the project. I trust Patrick Stewart. I do. Mm -hmm. I trust him and his judgment, especially when it comes to Picard. But that doesn't mean it's automatically going to be good. But then it came out that the main creator was Kristen Beyer. And I was like, okay, she loves Star Trek and she loves the characters just as much as we do. So that's another layer of coolness and everything like that. I'm hoping, I don't know if this has been confirmed yet. I'm hoping this is just a mini series, like a limited time event with like eight episodes or 10 episodes or something like that. Right. I can't we imagine that it would be ongoing. We don't know, but I can't imagine that it would be an ongoing series. No, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a very limited thing, maybe like a mini series, five mm-hmm. episodes or five stories, however they structure it. I don't see it going on as a full season, and I don't expect that we're going to see more seasons. I think this is going to be kind of a standalone solo project. When it's done, it's done. Now, side note, you said that you trusted Patrick Stewart, and I, too, take a little bit of stock in that. I don't think he would reprise Picard without a really good, worthwhile idea. However, he did voice Poop in the Emoji movie, so... Just got to okay. throw that out there, okay? That's okay to counter that because I know you're just joking. Yes, but yes. To counter that is just like that is like a he shows up for one day for like two hours and says a few lines and then he gets to go on a campaign where he gets to talk about how he's the voice of the poop emoji. I mean, that just pays for itself right there. But true, and true. I, and I, I mean, it's a great screen credit. I don't blame him one bit. And I'm sure he made a lot of money for doing a really stupid role like that. However,. Well, here, here's the thing, though. Some people might be might be reacting negatively to what I said by saying, oh, well, Patrick Stewart still did Insurrection. He still did Nemesis, and those weren't very good. True. But here's the thing. That was while he was still working for the franchise, still under contract, still going strong. They were doing movies. They're like, okay, let's do another one. What's the next one going to be? They had the momentum, and so they wanted to keep going. Right. This is 
almost 20 years later. And he has no obligation whatsoever to continue. And nor would he want to if he knew it was going to be garbage. I'm sure if he got the script for Nemesis today, and that's how they wanted to bring him back, he'd be like, no, thank you. You know, right. he has he has that power to say no, and and it's in his interest to say no when back then, in 2002 or earlier, of course, he was just like, sure, whatever, let's do another one, you know? Right. They were trying to just kind of keep the franchise going as long as it was going to last. Sure, that's a great distinction to make. It's a very different time, and Star Trek, also the way we consume media, is a very different thing. Yeah. So... He's not exactly looking for the work. He has plenty of things, I'm sure, being thrown his way. He he does what he wants. So the fact that he surprised everybody by showing up unannounced at Vegas to make mm-hmm. the announcement himself, which I thought was so cool, that was really a, a great service to the fans. And I, I'm insanely jealous of those of you who were at Vegas to see this happen. I mean, wow, they really did put a great convention together this year. The whole thing, the whole way it came out, it was just, it got me really excited again for this aspect of Star Trek, but also just kind of reinvigorated my my enthusiasm and love for Star Trek yet again. It kind of was a breath mm-hmm. of fresh air, seeing the Discovery cast there and just those beautiful, lovely people, the way they <laughs> handle fans, they really know what they're doing. And even if you don't like the show, you've got to give that cast, those actors credit for just being amazing in their embrace for what they're doing absolutely and it sounded like it was a really great time and i i'm sad that we weren't there i'm sad that you know not everybody could experience that to quote lost we have to go back (laughs) i would love to go back sometime but like with the picard news one thing that's really interesting is that and one thing that I talked about with my wife on um, my other show, Nerd Nuptial, which everyone should check out by going to the nerdparty.com slash nerdnuptial, because we did talk about this. We talked about yeah. Picard coming back, and she's a she's a non-fan. Like, she's she's not a fan of Star Trek, but she'll watch it with me sometimes. But the one show that she does like is The Next Generation, and she loves Picard. So she wanted to talk about this. She wanted to talk about the news. But one aspect that I kind of talked about was when we were in the golden age of Trek— from 1987 to 2002 every year in our lives was a year in the 24th century but after 2002 when you have enterprise and the prequel movies and discovery everything's thrown back in time so it's not concurrent true yes this show is going to go back to the concurrent timeline of the 24th century. So this show is going to come out a couple years from now, and it's going to be set 20 years after Nemesis. So we're going to go right back in the 24th century. And if the timeline is about the same, it's going to be 2399 when this takes place. So this is going to be potentially the last concurrent 24th century show and we, if they continue on in a timeline that Picard perpetuates, we could be moving into the 25th century Ooh. with Star Trek. Oh, my goodness. Now, that is a very, very exciting time to be alive. Totally. In the back of my mind, I knew this. But hearing you say the words out loud, just, ooh, I just got chills. I know, right? And so, And that's the thing is that... I'm hoping it works out that way, and I'm hoping this isn't the last time we go back to the prime timeline and continue to move forward concurrently. You know what I'm saying? Like, where right. it's, if it's, say, it's 2030 or 2032 in our lives, I want it to be 
2412 in their lives. I would love for that to continue to happen. That would be amazing. Now, one final question before we get to our actual topic for the week, because we should start the show. Oh, we, we should get to the show, <laughs> shouldn't we? Yeah. What do you think, a lot of people are speculating, are there going to be other members of the TNG cast or even just people from the Star Trek universe, are they going to be a part of this show? Yes or no? What are your thoughts? Oh, I mean, it'd be absolutely foolish if they didn't. I can 100% guarantee that you're going to get at least one cameo from someone, whether it's right Garrett Wong, like Garrett Wong playing like Captain Kim or well, or or Twitter. Nog or you know or somebody like yeah all these all these people are like all these actors are they're chiming and saying yeah. hey oh my hey gosh. look at me look at me they're yeah they're all pining right now including your lady Tracy Coco I would love to see Captain J just saying yeah I, I was on a thread with that where like somebody was saying like we need Captain J and she needs to speak this time I think it would be absolutely freaking hilarious if we did see J and she was a captain or you know, something. And somebody asks her a question, she opens her mouth, and then somebody cuts her off, and they have to move on. <laughs> oh, that is cruel, sir. But it would be great. It would be absolutely amazing. It, it would. Oh, my gosh. And you know what? I think Tracy is enough of a sport to where she would do it. I think she'd be down for it. I really do. Totally. And because she has a sense of humor. Yeah, also, Jonathan Frakes and LeVar Burton and Roxanne Dawson and Robbie Duncan McNeil, they all need to direct things. Oh, absolutely. I hope that we do get some, you know, classic alums to direct. And and the thing is, though, is that, like so many people are saying like, oh, Troy and Riker need to be in it. And, you know, like Spiner needs to be in it and everything like that. We have to realize that so many of these people have moved on from acting and moved on yes. from other things and Spiner couldn't do it because he says that he said multiple times he's done with data he looks very different right than, right. It, than the android and also you know Riker looks different and moved on and and, and you know Surtis is, is still acting but I don't I feel like she's moved on from the character you know so many people right. are willing to go back to conventions and talk about it but getting in front of the camera and portraying them again is something very different Absolutely. And I do think my thought is, is if they do have any Trek alums on this series, it's going to be a small role. It's going to yeah. be a short lived thing. It's going to basically be a cameo. It's not going to be an integral part of Picard's story. He's going to be center stage and we're going to have that cleft of gasp when we see whoever it is going to be. It's going to be great. And then we're going to blink and it's going to be done. It's interesting that I said Jonathan Rakes looks different now. Of course he looks different now. We just talked about that. Yeah, people age and, that uh, you know, I would, years. Yeah. I would love to see the USS Titan swoop in and save the day in the, in the new Picard show. But since we just referenced aging and we talked about aging last week, let's go ahead and talk about our topic this week. We really should. So this is part two of our conversation on how characters age through mm -hmm. their evolution as people and even a little bit of physicality too, how certain aspects of how characters look has helped define their attitude. So we're going to keep doing that, but we're going to do it with the non-humans of the group. We're going to talk about data and we're going to talk a little bit about the doctor. And yeah, specifically artificial intelligence, not just non-humans, but artificial intelligence, because we did talk yeah. about some non-humans last week. We talked about some aliens, but nobody who was truly alien in our sense of the word, where we talked about Bajorans and, you know, Trills and everything like that, that, that are basically humanoid. I mean, they are humanoid, but you know what I'm saying. 
But one thing that we were thinking about is like, because we talk so much about looks and appearance and aging so much, like even though that's not all that we talked about, we did talk about it a lot. Data and the doctor, they changed and grew and in, a, in the sense of becoming more mature and adult without changing their appearance at all. However, they both had that common thread of striving to be human. Right, right. And that's the beautiful aspect of it. And so we thought that we would devote a little time to talking about how artificial intelligence have aged in the show over the course of seven years, respectively. I don't know about you, but I'd like to start with data. I think that's a logical point to start, yeah. Sure. So with data, when I look back at those older TNG episodes, season one, I see data as almost like Pinocchio. He's like a little boy. And (laughs) the way he phrases things is so different than how he is in the later seasons of as you humans say, or this human (sighs) custom, he doesn't say that by the time season four and five roll around. He's gotten much more accustomed to being humans. It's like they have to demonstrate in those early days just how mechanical he is. Yes, it's it's very true. I I think you, you, you hit the biggest one, and that's something that always kind of bothered me because Data had been in Starfleet for a long time up to that point. Right. It took him a long time to become a lieutenant and lieutenant commander because of discrimination. And he even mentioned that because Mm -hmm. I think he – I could totally be getting this wrong, but I think he had been in Starfleet for like 23 years at that point. Well, I don't know if he'd been in Starfleet, but he'd certainly been activated for that long at the very least. No, like it was – I think it was a long time. Like it was was to the point where it was like a Harry Kim syndrome where, oh my gosh, like you haven't been promoted for this long. Okay, really? Okay, I've forgotten about this. Yeah, and he – that's all right. And I could totally be getting the years wrong. So don't don't come at me. But (laughs) – No hate mail, please. It's just so interesting because I know it's it's a TV show and that's the only explanation is that it's a TV show. But in season one, he's so alien. He's so robotic. He's so like, oh – Humor, what is this? Oh, sarcasm, hmm, what does that right. mean? You know, private dick, what does that mean? You know, like, and so, like, he has to act like somebody says a word, and instead of him just knowing what it means because he's a genius and he has an entire library in his head, he has to go, huh, processing. You know, let me Google that for you. <laughs> right. And you're just like, no, that's not how data works. And But no. it's, how he, it's how he worked at that time. And also at the point where burning the midnight oil, he'd been around humans for decades and decades and never heard that until he got to the Enterprise. He did more growing in the seven years on the Enterprise than he did in the 20 or 30 years that he did before. And the only reason why that can be explained is because it's a TV show and he found his character. Yep, yep, because they have to start at one point and then he lands on another, certainly. But as the years go on, Data, his quest never changes. He strives to be more human, but the way he does it is, I think, a lot more bearable. <laughs> as the character and the actor they, and the writers, they all find their footing on how they want to handle this character. Mm-hmm. And then we get some really good stories out of it, like when he creates his daughter, Lal. That's an incredibly powerful story. Man, you're just bringing up great points here because... <laughs> That is a huge sign of growing, of evolving, of becoming an adult, having a child. Certainly, you know, yeah. That is a big cornerstone for many adults and many people growing up. I mean, like, I actually, I had a conversation with a friend of mine at work the other day. I've been, this month I'm celebrating five years at my current position. Ooh, congrats. Thank you. And I am a completely different person 
from who I was five years ago. And I feel like an adult now. Five years ago, I didn't feel like an adult. I was married and, and had a job and my own house, my own place and everything like that. But I didn't feel like an adult. Now I do. And a big part of that is because I've had a child. I have a child. Yeah. And that can really just skyrocket the responsibility and the sense of, don't take this the wrong way, but ownership over something, like ownership over an experience, ownership over education and health that's not just your own. Oh, right. And you are responsible for a little dependent human being now. That is an enormous responsibility. And of course, that's going to change you. How can it not? And with Data, even though he doesn't have emotions and even though he did not mourn the loss of Lol, he grew from that experience. Yeah. And actually, there was one thing. Oh, man, I really wish this happened. It was what? this is something that I thought of a long time ago. I don't, I don't know if I ever mentioned it on any of one of our shows, but when he got his emotion chip in Generations, I wanted to see him in the corner of his room, bawling his eyes out. And Jordy comes in and says, oh my God, what's wrong? What happened? And he says, he's like, I'm finally able to mourn lol. Oh my goodness. That is officially a missing scene in Generations. <laughs> Would that not have been amazing? Like just how that hits him like a bag of bricks over the head. Oh my God, I lost a daughter. Mm -hmm. And then he's trying to process it. That would really help us understand the overload that was happening. Something that profoundly emotional. Of course, he doesn't know how to process that. He's never done that before. And we as humans, we know how hard that is. Oh my God, Tristan, that's a beautiful idea. Thank you very much. I, I just, For some reason, that just always stuck with me ever since, even when I was a small boy, when because it came out in 94, I think. Is that right? Generations? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was eight at the time. And I'm pretty sure that's when I came up with the idea. I was like, oh, you know, that would be interesting if that happened. And I always wanted to see it happen. And I feel like we should have maybe, didn't we rewrite Generations? Oh. I oh, wait. Know. No, no, no. We we. We wrote a short story that was directly after Generations. Okay. You know, on, I got to be honest, I lose track anymore. There's so many <laughs> things that we have rewritten and redone and done little vignettes here and there. And then we had the four years of To the Journey. And then there's all the fan fiction that I've read over the years. I mean, it's all a jumble in my head. I have no idea what's canon anymore. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> now, with Data, I mean, I, lo I love that you brought up LOL. And it made me, like, Death of a Child definitely made me think about maturity and loss. And, and if you think about it, Data has gone through so many human experiences that we take for granted. Now, I'm not saying that these are good things, but a horrible relationship with his brother. Yeah, we've talked about that. The death of a parent. Yes. He lost his father. Rekindling a relationship with his mother, his long-lost mother. And, and what you just brought up, a death of a child. Also a failed romantic relationship. He's been through a rich life in just the seven years that we saw him in. Absolutely. So I think we can effectively conclude that, yes, Data, in his striving to become more human, went through a lot of human experiences. Therefore, does that make him more human? I would say yes. He is having a very human experience. I think so, too. I think that so many people can't separate growth and emotion. Just because he's not exhibiting an emotional reaction or grieving outwardly, 
Data has even talked about how with Riker, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he said, he's like, when I'm around people, I become accustomed to them. My subroutines alter themselves in order to, you know, like make room for their pathways, blah, 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 blah. He teched the tech uh-huh. on his, on it, on it. Basically he said, he's like, there is a literal and physical change to his Android body when he grows accustomed to seeing someone every day and that he feels that loss when they're gone. It's not emotional like us, but he feels it. And so, so many people, I think, mistake emotion for growth or lack of emotion with lack of growth. And Data has expanded his parameters a great deal. Yeah, he's doing the same thing on a chemical level that we experience. When we see somebody that we like and we want to be around, we release happy chemicals. Like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. This feels good. Data was talking about the same exact thing. So he has Mm -hmm. got everything going except maybe the emotional response. And then when you have the emotion chip in place, he's got the full package. Yeah, there was a lot of people who did not like what they did with Data in the movies post-emotion chip. How did you feel about that? It's a bit of a mixed bag, especially when in first contact he can suddenly turn it off. I actually liked that. Really? Why? Because it felt like a next step from Generations where they figured out the problem. He's an android. He took control over it. They figured out what to do. And that would be extremely useful in those types of scenarios where you could just turn it off. Oh, certainly. I mean, I certainly envied that capability because if we could turn off our emotions, our anxieties and our fears in life-threatening situations, of course we would do it. And I guess as a machine, he gets that luxury. But I just thought, aw, I wanted to see Data continue to get accustomed to handling emotions. And then that's the easy way out. Okay. Well, I mean, to be fair, the Borg Queen forced him to turn it back on. So he did have to deal with those emotions. This is true. And he did. So there is that. Point Data. But you didn't like the fact that he always has that off switch, that he always has that out. He has the capability. And I thought, ah, that kind of cheapens the whole experience to me. Okay, okay. I can totally I can totally get that rationale where like if I knew if I was in a horrible situation, oh my god, can you think of it from an anxiety aspect? Oh, I would love to turn it off. Please let me turn it off. I feel like we would be a little bit more reckless in our exchanges with people, oh, whether think? it's Yeah, I I do because like um like say you have like a meeting or something like that or like a presentation where you need to Be clear-headed. You need to give out the information, but your palms are sweaty. You can't think straight. You're going to throw up and you could just go, you know, and then turn off your emotions. I feel like we'd be a little bit more reckless in what we'd agree to do knowing like, oh, well, I'll just turn off my emotion chip. It'll be fine. But at the same time, I feel like you'd also be turning off your passion Hmm. and thus hurting yourself in the process. Because like with that, like that imaginary presentation that I'm talking about, if I have to sell an idea, I may be nervous beforehand, but if I'm not selling a passion, then I'm not really selling the idea. Okay. I think this works twofold. You are right in that we need a certain amount of stress and anxiety to motivate us mm-hmm. to really perform. And with just the right amount of those things, we come through, we get the job done. Now, if you're overwhelmed with anxiety and stress, then you're going to shut down. Your body is going to eventually overload, and then you can't perform at all. So as humans, we have to find that perfect balance. And 
maybe. <laughs> now, I, what I would love is a customized emotion chip to where I could regulate. <laughs> That's called <laughs> my medication. Level of anxiety. Can I do that? Like, I, I don't want. I want just enough stage fright to do well in my life, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be shut down for a day and in bed and just wishing that everything would go away. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah, I, I, you kind of, you might have changed my mind a little bit on this because he doesn't have a reason to find that balance. No, with that luxury of just turning it off, he doesn't have to regulate at all. Yeah, like say he experiences a loss, you know, like say that Spot died and he just goes, you know what, I don't feel like feeling this right now. That must be nice. That's all I got to yeah. say. Yeah. And speaking of which, where is Spot? Whatever happened to Spot? I want to know. Anyway. In the shadows. But we should move on to the doctor. Yes, we absolutely should. Now, emotionally, this was a guy who had no reservations expressing himself and what he was really thinking at the time. He was almost the antithesis to Data in that kind of, well, not to Data, but to, I think, human guard in that respect. He didn't really care a whole lot about what other people thought of him, certainly in the beginning. Yes. I never really thought of it that way, but you're right, because... He was an artificial life form, just like Data, but where Data was overly polite and very gracious and very professional, there were times when the doc would be a complete jackass. Totally. It's just super interesting that I love that the writers did that because we needed that change. We didn't need another quote unquote robot. We needed something different. And you can't just have Data as a hologram. That's boring. No. No, they gave him a... a very different characterization where I think, whereas Data wanted to be more human, the Doctor, I think, in a way, almost embraced his hologramness and his capabilities. Uh, he became kind of a renaissance man. He embraced the idea that he could th- throw in so much information that he overloaded himself and pretty much had to reset. Mm-hmm. I, I just never could imagine Data doing things like playing golf or... <laughs> living a fantasy of being the command or, you know, the command hologram. Whereas I I would say the doctor, he embraced who he was rather than striving to be something different, if that makes any sense. And to a very arrogant level. I mean, we had the ECH. He thought very highly of himself. That's true. He very much had an ego where you look at Spock and Data, they straight up say, I have no ego to bruise. Right. And the doc was the exact opposite of that. And he had emotions and he was he was human-like. How do I phrase this? He was always striving to become more human and better than himself. But we started off the most human-like with Doc compared to Data. True. Yeah, because as a result of being a program, he was able to expand his capabilities beyond just being human. He got to be kind of superhuman in a way. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, that's how he embraced his journey, whereas date is a completely different thing. Daniel Prue has talked about this a lot. He's a host of the Star Trek show on the Nerd Party called SETI Alpha 3, and he hates that Data is so advanced and yet continues to not interface with the computer, where <laughs> he interfaces with the computer via text and voice, which is a horrible way to transmit data back and forth. But it's a very human way. Exactly. It's a very human way. The reason why I'm bringing this up, because if you look at the doctor, he is a part of the computer. He is built into it. And so the projection of himself is just that. It's a projection. So his brain is integrated into the computer. So when he is 
going back and forth. And when he's learning something, he doesn't need to access it via text, even though we see it that way. Where And this is <laughs> another thing that Daniel Pru complains about is, why are we seeing the doctor look at something on a pad? <laughs> right. He doesn't really need to do that. He's It's because TV. We need to see him do that. Exactly. Because we just... If we just see him walk around or sit in a chair just staring off into space, he shouldn't need to research anything because he already knows everything and the computer at least has access to it. But right. we need we need that drama. We need that physicality to connect with the character. We do. We do. And the showrunners know that to make it relatable to us. Although it would be kind of funny to do kind of the the opposite of what we were talking about with Data, where he would occasionally Google things and say, just one moment, please. Googling. <laughs> this is what this means, where we could just have the doctor pause for a few minutes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, whatever, and then spew out some things. It would actually have made him feel a little more non-human. And would that have been, I don't know, would that have been an interesting dimension to his character had they gone that route and, and fought the physicality of identifying with the audience to make him less human? I think it would have been an, a reminder every once in a while that we're not dealing with someone that's human, but I feel like they gave us enough reminders throughout the show. That's true. When you'd have issues or projection issues or like mobile emitter issues and everything like that. Right. Or when he was just confined to wherever there were hollow emitters in the earlier days. I feel like if the doctor was made today, he wouldn't be using a pad. He wouldn't be doing this. He wouldn't be doing that. I think they would make it much more of a structured, I'm an alien, artificial intelligence type deal. I think you're right. I think they would have embraced that a lot more. Yeah. Now, okay. So with the doc, I think he had a more profound change than Data by the end of season, when you go from season one to season seven. Okay. How do you think so? Because I think with Data, you have season one where he's very robotic. And in season seven, he's still robotic, but just more natural because the actor got more comfortable with the role. Uh-huh. With the doc, you have season one where he's a jackass in a horrible bedside manner. And then you have season seven where he's very light and fluffy and his voice even went up an octave. <laughs> and, and not just because he was singing. Yeah, not just because he was singing, but I feel like that wasn't necessary just because the actor got more comfortable in the role. I feel like that's because the character went through so much and had the ability to change outwardly as well as internally it's just because we see him explore those activities you talk about golf like he discovered golf he discovered opera he discovered photography he was able to explore his hobbies and data did that as well mm -hmm. but the doc threw himself into it and bragged about it with others and made others watch and you know and had that ego that needed to be patted on the back where data didn't right oh that's such a great distinction because the doctor, who also had a family, by the way, parallels, he... yeah, he And a, a daughter who died, just like Data. Right. But then we never saw her again. Again, parallels again. Same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, yeah, he had to show off his work in his interaction with people. Whereas Data, it, it would be other people coming to him. Oh, Data, what are you making? And then he would discuss it, but he wouldn't be, hey, Counselor Troy, check this out. Would, yeah, would, yeah, yeah. He would never do that. I think the way that the doctor interacted with other people really also shaped who he was. Like, think of his earlier interactions with Kess. Kess really woke him up. Like, this is how you interact with non hologram people. <laughs> I think, like, where Jordy was to Data, Kess was to the doc. Mm, I've never made that distinction. You might be right. 
I think it was kind of the ambassador to humanity. Even though Kess wasn't human, she was a humanoid, you know, like an yeah. emotion and, and, and everything like that. And so I feel like everybody has that ambassador. And where Seven of Nine, Doc was kind of the ambassador for Seven of Nine. It was mainly the captain. It was mainly Janeway. Yeah. I feel like, but I guess an argument could be made. It was just funny to show how much he grew in those short amount of years because where the doc needed an ambassador to humanity through Kess, Seven of Nine's ambassador became Doctor. And right. it just goes to you to show that he went from learning about humanity to teaching about humanity. Yep. You stole the words right out of my mouth. I think that's a great place to end right there yes absolutely i i think this this was a fun episode i love talking about artificial intelligence and if you guys have anything to say about artificial intelligence and how data and doctor grew that we didn't mention because there's a lot that we either didn't mention or didn't have time or forgot to mention please let us know by going to the nerdparty.com slash contact let's punch it from the drop down menu fill out the form and it'll send us an email and also, please check out all of our back episodes by going to thenerdparty.com slash punch it, as well as our other shows on the network. We're producing content for you every single day of the week. You can find us on social, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are all over the place. Now, next week, we don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be a surprise for us as much as it is for you. But whatever we do, we're going to punch it. Ready for warp, sir. Let's punch it. <laughs> Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.